Cause we're the Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Houston Oilers number one Yes, we're the Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Everyone, you're listening to Battle Red Radio. I'm Matt Weston, and this evening I'm joined by the the big man himself, Tim, and the legendary Rivers McCown. How are you fellas doing tonight? Here to listen to what Rivers has to say. <laughs> here to listen to what Tim has to say. I'm here to listen to what y'all have to say because I'm I'm just here to to give y'all a bunch of questions to hear what your thoughts are because I know what mine are. I think a lot of people listening to the show, you know what my uh, very silly thoughts are. But so for tonight's show, we're going to talk about the past, the present, and the future of the Houston Texans now that we're sitting here at the bye week. And the first thing I want to talk about was this offseason, whenever the Houston Texans traded DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson in a second-round pick that became a pick swap in a way and allowed Houston to take Russ Blocklock, and they also trade for Brandon Cooks. So this season, DeAndre Hopkins has 57 catches on 73 targets for 704 yards. He's averaging 12, 12.4 yards of reception, has three touchdowns. David Johnson has 101 carries for 392 yards, 3.9 yards a carry. He also has 16 catches for 161 yards. And Brandon Cooks has 34 catches on 51 targets for 427 yards and is averaging 12.4 yards of reception as well. Um, so, Tim, is the DeAndre Hopkins trade even more of a disaster than you thought it would be when it was made back in March of this year? And then even going back a few weeks after that, whenever the return kind of came through, that was going to be Russ Blacklock and Brandon Cooks. Yes. <laughs> Agree. <laughs> I mean, would you like me to? Would you like me to expand upon my point? Yeah, I like that. Oh, okay, fair enough. Uh, I think everybody at the time knew that it was a terrible idea that they were giving him away for far less than he was worth. Uh, but I'll admit that you could kind of squint and go, especially after the Brandon Cooks trade, you go, ah, maybe Cooks and Fuller and Cobb, even though no one was really that bullish on them signing him, and certainly not to the contract that he got. I think you could squint and go, man, maybe there's some semblance of a plan, even if it was really just a case of of trying to drink the Kool-Aid and make things make sense. Uh, But I don't think there's any doubt that it's been far worse than anyone envisioned. DeAndre Hopkins continues to be DeAndre Hopkins uh, for a team that is not the Texans. And unfortunately, they don't have anybody that's even in his ballpark uh, in terms of value catching balls for them. And then you look at, you know, paying David Johnson just, obscene amounts of money to be uh, a below average running back. It's one of those that I think just kind of, you know, from a thousand foot view, you look at it and go, this was a terrible idea. And as you kind of get into the weeds, you look at it a little bit more and go, man, this is even worse than I thought it would be. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's (laughs) the thing of the thing with David Johnson is, is like, okay, you get a back who in theory, good pass catching back who runs outside and then you just run him up the middle on like 70 percent of his carries and and what are we doing here folks what's the point of texans football (laughs) (laughs) that's what makes it so bad is that you've got i mean you 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 brought in a running back that you're paying an insane salary to to do what duke johnson could do for your team if you weren't insistent upon running off tackle a gap up the middle, however you want to phrase it, 
over and over again. It, it, it's, I think it might have been one of those situations where Bill O'Brien thought that everyone was going to zig and he was going to zag and show everyone that you could win this way. And, and it's just, I mean, what, we can go into a million different reasons as to why it was such a terrible idea and, and why the idea of getting rid of as talented a receiver as DeAndre Hopkins is, is just at its crux a horrible idea. But to then decide that they're going to double down and bring in a running back in an age where no smart team overpays for a running back. I mean, as I understand it, the Cardinals essentially were resigned to the fact, or at least their fan base was resigned to the fact that if they weren't going to cut David Johnson and get nothing for him, they were going to have a state. They were going to have to staple a second round pick to him, Brock Osweiler style to get someone to take him. And Bill O'Brien goes and essentially trades for him and gives up <laughs> arguably the best receiver in the game to do it. I mean, it's just, it's, it's even now months later, it was insane when it happened. And now looking at it, 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 it's even more insane. You don't give up a guy like that at all, but you certainly don't give him up to get worse, markedly worse, which is what they did. Yeah. And it's funny too, because you know, David Johnson was the Cardinals third best running back last year. And it's become even more apparent as like Kenyon Drake's been, you know, kind of bad, uh, but the run blocking has been bad there. And Chase Edmonds is far and away better than David Johnson. And so we joked about like when the trade was made this spring, like at least get Chase Edmonds if you're going to trade DeAndre Hopkins to Arizona. And, um, you know, Johnson start off the year like he had that one really great run against Kansas City. And, you know, it's hard to tell if it was the run blocking was the problem or if it was Johnson, but he's been in so many tackle breaking chances where he just isn't doing it all anymore. And that run he had against um, Green Bay where he spins into a tackle attempt and turns his back to it. After that happened, like, yeah, just release him. We need a Simpson glue factory or make hot dogs out of him because there's nothing else at all he can really do anymore. Let me ask you guys this. Like, is there a running back just anywhere in the NFL that you would have traded DeAndre Hopkins for straight up? No. Weston? Yeah, I couldn't name one. You'd have to get like a back and a pick back, and even then, I, I wouldn't do it. I agree, but I'm just saying straight up. And and Bill O'Brien traded him for David Johnson and a second round pick again, which was the package that, as I understand it, Cardinals fans thought they were going to have to send to a team <laughs> for something far less than DeAndre Hopkins just to get him off their books. And Bill O'Brien sent them DeAndre. Freaking Hopkins. I'm I'm getting angry just talking about it. The yeah. only joy the only joy that I have taken from anything in this season was after they fired Bill O'Brien and they brought in Cal for that like thirteen minute four question interview and he did the whole well we couldn't afford to pay Hopkins thing again. And then DeAndre took that took that sports radio six ten tweet, I think it was, <laughs> and it was just like Okay, Kyle, let me tell you, <laughs> let me tell you, uh, as my agent, uh, I can tell you that I would have taken a Band-Aid and just, just, just calling him Kyle McNair is the only joy I've had this entire season. How about right after the trade was made, when Kyle McNair went on that conference call with O'Brien and Easterby and said that if he was a fan, he'd be excited that his team was making bold moves. Yeah, I remember that one. We took all the clips and made a show of that where we took, you know, O'Brien and uh, McNair's and, and Easterby's clips and talked about them. And um, it was it was pretty hilarious. And the thing is, like, O'Brien said this trade was made for football reasons, and it obviously wasn't. Um, so, Rivers, without Hopkins around, 
What do you think has been the biggest thing they miss without him? Has it been the vertical passing? Has it been consistent first down receptions? Has it been the plays that Watson makes, you know, outside the structure of the offense or him and Hopkins have that relationship? Is it, you know, drawing double teams to open up for others? How has Houston, why, like what aspect of Hopkinson's game has affected Houston the most without him here? I guess if you want to like, like really dig it down into one thing, I think it really hurts their red zone passing a lot. You saw, you pointed this out, the the, the fuller uh, back shoulder catch that uh, he did not complete in the Vikings game. DeAndre Hopkins catches that ball. Mm-hmm. Um, anytime they get close close in with how they're set up right now, they have real problems winning one-on-one because they don't have that guy anymore. Will Fuller is pretty good at one-on-one. He's not DeAndre Hopkins. And every time we get you know, even close to the red zone, I'm, I'm just like dreading the inevitable David Johnson carries that go nowhere <laughs> in combination with the receivers who can't get open one-on-one. Yeah. I, I think Johnson's probably the worst red zone back I've ever seen. Uh, what about you, Tim? What's, what do you think Houston's missing the most about Hopkins here? I think they're missing DeAndre Hopkins. <laughs> just and, everything. Uh, just every, everything about, you know, I mean, I think when we watched him, we knew how great he was. And it's one of those things that when he's not uh, pulling your ass out of the fire time and time again, especially on third downs, maybe maybe you kind of notice it more. But there's so much about him that was whether it was the red zone, whether it's just first down or third down, you know, catches on third down to convert first down. I mean, the guy was so good at literally everything, whether it was going across the field, whether it was going down the sideline, he was everything. And now they don't have that guy. And that's not to say that that Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller and Randall Cobb aren't talented players. I, I think they are. But none of them uh, is anywhere in the same class as DeAndre Hopkins. And to not have that guy uh, over and over again after after you saw what he did, especially what he was able to do with them. I mean, the guy was the guy was a legitimately great receiver with Brock Osweiler, mm-hmm. Brian Mallett, uh, Brian Hoyer. AJ McCarron, Jake DeLome, uh, uh, Shane Boyd, um, whoever, whatever, <laughs> you know, I mean, whoever. BJ Daniels. BJ Daniels. There he you caught go. that whoever pass from Brandon Weeding against Tennessee, too, that one time. <laughs> Brandon Weeding. That's it. There you go. There literally was nobody. I, he, he, he dealt with, at best, mediocre quarterback play essentially his entire career. He gets to Sean Watson. He was always fantastic. He gets to Sean Watson, and they decided, and by they I mean Bill O'Brien and, and I assume Jack Easterby, decided that somehow this team was better, both in the short and long term, without having DeAndre Hopkins lining up at wide receiver. I mean, just, again, <laughs> this is, this is going to be a long podcast. Yeah, just that's, hearing it out loud makes it even, like hearing somebody else say out loud instead of just in my own head, just really kind of makes it, Really, I really am able to understand just how absurd it is. Um, for me, I think it's just creating easy offense. Like Houston's had trouble, you know, creating easy throws and easy runs uh, this year. They're th- on, uh, on third down. They're at thirty nine point eight percent, which is twenty first. Hopkins right now is first in the league in first downs with thirty six with receiving. Uh, Fuller and Cooks have twenty two each, which is tied twentieth, which isn't bad. But again, like they lose that guy who always is able to consistently move the chains on third down. And you know, there was the idea last year that Hopkins was starting to slow down because he didn't have the same like downfield passing numbers, and it was really just because Bill O'Brien put him in the slot on like third and one or even like third and four or whatever, and just have him like run quick passes instead of field to move the chains. And that was kind of like their easy source of offense um, throughout last year. 
So Rivers, as far as David Johnson goes, the last question I have about him is, who is the worst running back you can think of this year that's still better than David Johnson? The worst running back I can think of this year that's still better than David Johnson is Jordan Howard. (laughs) I would rather start Jordan Howard. I think he could run inside and get four yards sometimes. Yeah. And that's that's a big benefit for a team. Uh, as I, as we learned last year with Carlos Hyde here. And uh, <laughs> just look, I just I pulled up some stats because I was curious. And uh, the Texans haven't had a positive rush DVOA since week one. So, um, Matt, I know you've got like a, a long outline here, but um, – <laughs> Maybe we can get to the things that are like positive instead of yeah, depressing. Yeah. yeah, I just want to get through. I want to get through the Hopkins stuff real fast. Because I was thinking about this this earlier today, and for me, I think it has to be Frank Gore. Like the Texans' offense would be like I don't know, like maybe two percent better if it's Frank Gore getting all those carries instead of Houston. Um, so can, let's go some positive stuff. We'll talk about Deshaun Watson. So he's third in DYAR, fourth in DVOA. And even the slow offensive start the first four weeks with Bill O'Brien charged, he's still been playing, you know, like a like a top five quarterback, I guess, you know, efficiency and value wise. Uh, Rivers, do you think there's some sort of disconnect with the numbers here, or do you think Watson has played like a top five quarterback this season? I think he's played up to that number. Yeah, I don't know that I would say that he's like it, it like underrates him or anything, but they played a lot of tough defenses, um, even the ones that they have played that aren't really like good uh outside of jacksonville have at least some scrappy moments uh have some decent schemes and and can catch somebody every every third down every like third third down or so um i think deshaun watson's only real issues have been you know when it comes down to to kind of the the constricting of the field when you get to the red zone uh it's been it's been difficult for the texans it really has just because again um some receiver got traded. What about you, Tim? Do you think Watson's played like a top five quarterback this year? I think he's been uh, pretty good these last couple games. You know, top five, I, I guess the best way to put it would be no. I don't think he's been a top five quarterback this year in terms of what he's done on the field, but I don't necessarily think that's his fault. I think his hands were kind of tied certainly the first four weeks um, by what was by what he was dealing with in terms of an offensive uh, scheme and play calling and all those, all those sorts of things. I still think the guy's a top quarterback, a top five quarterback in the league. I just don't think that necessarily what we've seen this year for through the first seven weeks has, has uh, bared that out. Uh, You know, there's, I mean, in terms of going forward, I mean, how many quarterbacks would you rather have under center for your favorite team than Deshaun Watson going forward for, let's say, the next five years. I think it's a really, really, really short list. Um, so, I, you know, whether he's been a top five guy this year or not, I would probably lean towards no, but I don't think necessarily all of that is his fault or, or by design. There's really not very many guys I would rather have going uh, forward than him. And hopefully when we get a new guy in here, uh, somebody who understands that trading uh, DeAndre Hopkins for a bag of uh, magic beans and some dirt isn't a good idea, you know, I'm optimistic that things can get better in a hurry, despite the fact that we, we're obviously strapped with uh, cap room and assets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do, they- you, do you remember, do you guys remember the, 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 the end of the second quarter against Pittsburgh when Deshaun Watson 
drove the entire length of the field in 45 seconds. It took like five passes. And then the collective staff was just like, let's look at that <laughs> and then ignore it. Let's, let's make sure we run the ball right when the third quarter starts. I, you know, I really thought that, again, I, I really thought that, like, you watch that. We're obviously biased. We're watching it at home. We're, we're, we're invested in the team. It's, it's not our job. But, like, I don't understand how anyone could watch that and decide that the best course of action moving forward in the second half of that game is to essentially sit on the ball. And that's, that's more or less what they did until, it was, until, until they had to do something differently. I mean, it, I just, again, I, 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 the more I talk about it, uh, I usually, you know, kind of just choke these thoughts <laughs> down. And now actually uh, talking about it, I just get angrier and angrier. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say like the one thing about Watson this year, and I, I think he's a better quarterback this year than he was last year. I think a lot of it just has to come with the offense, you know, instead of uh, they moved, they moved far away from that drag flat RPO stuff um, since O'Brien's been gone. And like whenever they get into these shotgun and empty formation sets where you have five receivers and you're playing out shotgun with four wide receivers, like Watson's been really spectacular when the, when the field's been spread out. And so like it's really given me kind of like hope for whoever the next coach is uh, next year, even though regardless of like the cap space issues and the pick issues, uh, just the fact like with how good Watson's been these spread sets, you know, that Houston could have a really good offense again next year, even regardless of like the, the difficulties that's going to be, you know, this offseason too. Um, what about you, Rivers? Like, what have you seen the difference between Tim Kelly and O'Brien? And you think just by like going spread and empty has been a big reason for his improvement this season? I think since Tim Kelly took over, he's been a lot better at uh, moving guys around. I think the offense got really stagnant under O'Brien's lead, and I think particularly Brandon Cooks has has really benefited from moving around formations, getting some slot targets. I feel like in general. The O'Brien offense really like sucked all of the good targets, all the desired desirable looks into the slot. Mm-hmm. Whereas, whereas with Kelly kind of taking over, I think you've seen those more spread around, and I think you've seen the players line up in better spots for them. Yeah, that makes sense. It kind of makes me think that like first throw, like even just like taking advantage of matchups. You know, like when they play Jacksonville and having Chris Claybrooks across from Brand Cooks and hitting him on a fade route, just like little simple things like that. Or whenever you spread the field out more, you can pick and pop and pick your matchups a lot better um, whenever you spread the field out like that as well too. Um, Tim, we had a question here from at Confused Lefty, and he asks, Give Deshaun, given Deshaun is struggling to carry this team right now despite having some decent receivers with Cooks and Fuller, has he regressed as a quarterback this year? Just pick him on Cooks' press conference where he seemed to suggest that the offense wasn't training hard. And so this was a listener, I guess, who had this idea that maybe Watson has regressed. Have you seen that at all? And if he has regressed, uh, not maybe overall, are there any aspects of his game where he's maybe have dropping off this year? You know, I think that, that part of the reason that, that people can fairly say that they think he's regressed, I don't think that's an unfair uh, position to take just based on what you've watched, is that we got so spoiled for those six games during his rookie season where he looked like he was just on a different level than anyone in the entire league. And everything since then has sort of been a poor imitation of how explosive the offense was for those six games. If we don't have those, that six game sample size where we thought we had the absolute next big thing uh, before Patrick Mahomes, before anybody, 
Uh, I think without that, we're probably not talking about regression. We're talking about what a special young quarterback he is and how he's, you know, everything's, there's a bump in the road, but he's still a really, really good player. And we're optimistic about what he's going to become. Those six games, I think, sort of unfairly skewed what we think he should be at this stage. And then that's before we get to the fact that I don't think there's any reasonable argument that he hasn't been hamstrung by the offense, by the play calling, all those sorts of things over the past couple of years. So I, I guess to answer the question, I don't think he's regressed. I think we're unfairly measuring him on some level mm-hmm. based on that small sample size. I think he's a great player. I think he's going to be an even greater player. We just all look at that six games uh, in 2017 and go, that why isn't he that every <laughs> week? And, you know, I mean, the reason he's not that every week is because Bill O'Brien and Bill O'Brien. Yeah, the only thing I've kind of seen as far as like him aggressing any individual aspects of his game was you know, throw the ball downfield. He's thrown six touchdowns to five interceptions this year. He's also, and that's probably more because of the offensive scheme, not having Hopkins that creates those easier one versus one matchups where, you know, you get two guys on Hopkins and then you have Fuller running an easy, you know, dig or post um, underneath it or above that. And also, like on some short throws, he's missed guys behind. Uh, he hasn't been the same, like, insane scrambles on the run like he made last year as well, too. And part of that is just not having having Hopkins. But, like, I think you really said well, Tim. Like, these are really nitpicky things. These are things you're trying to compare him to being, like, you know, 34 points a game, whatever it was in 2017. Not necessarily Hopkins and his skill set. Um, defensively, like, right now this year, the Texans did bet on J.J. Watt to be Watt this year and carry them to at least, like, an average passing defense this season. Houston is 24th in pass D DVOA and 27th in pass D. Uh, past defense DVOA, and they they got actively worse this offseason by releasing Tayshawn Gibson, not signed DJ Reader, and only adding Eric Murray to the past defense this year. Um, Rivers, is this almost as absurd as the decision to trade DeAndre Hopkins to make these defensive changes that they made and expect to maybe even be passable this year? No, it is not. It is not as absurd as trading <laughs> DeAndre Hopkins. That's all I've got. <laughs> Nothing is more absurd than that. Nothing. What about whenever you see Devon? I mean, uh, Eric Murray playing slot press man against uh, Devonte Adams. You know, does that change your mind at all? Whenever you close your eyes and see that. When I close my eyes at night, <laughs> the only thing that I will remember from this season is the tweet with Kyle McNair in it. That's all. <laughs> That's the only thing that I will ever think about. I know that we have to cover it. I know that I have posted like 20 clips of Vernon Hargreaves getting his ass torched. Big ups, Vernon, for taking your lumps. It's not easy. It's really not a spot that you should be in. I don't harbor any ill will towards any of the Texans defenders, but this this unit is terrible right now. Mm-hmm. Well, and going off that, Tim, um, you know, with Anthony Weaver as defensive coordinator this year, do you think like the big problem this defense is just the talent here? And what do you make of the job he's done so far? You know, it, earlier in the year, I, I very much was of the mind that you couldn't really blame him for what was going on because there was just no talent. And, and, and I think on some level, I still feel the same way. But I don't know that I necessarily have the same sort of blank check idea that I did, you know, in the first three, four weeks of the season in terms of it being a talent issue. Now, there's no doubt. It, I mean, the Texans' defensive talent is horrific. Uh, and I don't think that anyone could really succeed with it. If anything, it should really make us appreciate the job Romeo Cornell did for the last few years because there was certainly more talent on that defense before this year. 
But I think scheme-wise, he probably could have covered up some of the holes a little bit better than Anthony Weaver did, just from the fact that he's been successful with so many, I think, mediocre, talented defense, defenses before this year. Uh, so I guess to answer your question, I, I certainly felt like we couldn't really judge Anthony Weaver through the first three or four weeks of the season. But there's been enough stuff that we've seen over the last couple weeks that I go, man, I don't know that it's just all a talent issue. I don't think that he ever could have succeeded with the lack of talent that Bill O'Brien and Jack Easterby gave him on this defense. But I don't think that necessarily should completely acquit him of any responsibility for what we see week in and week out, where if the defense holds a team, holds an op, holds the opposition under 30 points, I think we're all genuinely surprised. And I don't think any, I don't think any NFL defense, that's a good place to be for the coordinator, no matter how bad the talent is. What about you, Rivers? Um, all I'll say is that I think Anthony Weaver should spend the bye week um, taking Zach Cunningham into the lab and, uh, you know, fixing that radar. Because the one consistent thing that's happened in, in every game, it's, it's not just the lack of talent. It's also that the guys that have the talent aren't playing very well. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> like, like Cunningham... I know that people are upset about, you know, him getting dogged on Twitter. I get that he's been really good, but this year he has not been good. I mean, he is a big reason that the run defense has been so up, so hit or miss. And, like, I, I don't know if it's a coaching issue with between him and Weaver. I don't know if, you know, the inside linebackers coach or something is, like, is like in his ear telling him things that he shouldn't do. <laughs> but what we had last year – was a guy who could, you know, fit fit these gaps and, and hit them quick. And that guy has disappeared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder how much of it with him, too. It's like, I kind of talked about how, like, I think McKinney's better than him just because McKinney had a much tougher job in this defense where he's playing, you know, strong side. He's dealing with double teams. He's dealing with guards. Whereas Cunningham just had to play backside and outrun offensive linemen, deliver kill shots on running backs over and over again. I wonder how much of that for him is just having this additional responsibility and no longer just having like a really easy job in an NFL defense, you know, compared to some other players on his team. And then whenever you have Brand Dunn getting driven back, you know, three yards off the ball every play, and PJ Hall being good, like one out of every ten plays, and Carlos Watkins and Blacklock not providing anything. If it's just, you know, the job has just gotten tougher and he just doesn't have the talent to be able to get to another level to be able to overcome it. And that's what I've seen a lot from Cunningham this year, aside from like the, all the high missed tackles in open, in open field as well. I think that's the biggest thing is, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody. I knew that losing DJ Reader would, would be a loss. I knew that would be a problem, but I, I'll be the first to admit, I think I totally underestimated how big of a loss it would be in terms of the effect that it's had on the rest of the defense, because Zach Cunningham has not been the guy that, that we thought he would be. And I think part of that's a loss of Reader. Part of it's not having McKinney next to him. The other guy who I've been really, you know, disappointed with because I thought he was truly, truly a stud before this year is Justin Reed. Mm-hmm. I think Reed and Cunningham were two dudes that coming into the season, you thought you were set. Both those guys were at the very top of the league at their position, and neither of them thus far has played like that. That doesn't mean that they won't get there again. That doesn't mean that, that it's not just a bump in the road. But for right now, I think both those guys have really, really underwhelmed. And I think at least when you look at at uh, Cunningham, you can say, well, not having McKinney next to him might have an effect on him. I don't know what you would say about about Reed in that regard, uh, unless we're just going to say the secondary got that much worse, and it did. 
but I don't know that it really matters. I don't know if that necessarily explains the drop-off that we've seen in his play. See, I think Reed actually has covered fairly well this year. I think when he's one-on-one, he does a pretty good job. But, like, the 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 way they want to do things with being multiple, whatever that means to Anthony Weaver, just doesn't – it seems to get him in bad positions. And we had the shoulder issue last year, right? Was that, that was it? It was like yeah. a shoulder thing? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then th- this year we've got – you know, he's he's been wearing a, a brace on his wrist at times. Uh, he's been on the injury report again. It's all, It's one of those things where, like, maybe – Maybe this is just a banged up guy you've got, and sometimes he's going to give you all he's got, and sometimes it's not as good as it is when he's healthy. Um, the, the tackling, the tackling has been, uh, you know, again, who are we to throw stones at these guys for not tackling well, right? I mean, they're all at the top of their profession, and and you know, could could uh, could probably beat at least me in a street fight, maybe not Rivers, but the rest <laughs> of us, the re- you know, the rest of us, they could absolutely beat up, a, you know, but I mean. Justin Reed, and maybe so much of it is just sort of the, the camera angles and how the season has gone, but it seems like this year there's been so much leading with the shoulder, not even trying to wrap up people and either just whiffing or bouncing off of them. The tackling more so than the coverage, I, I won't take exception with anything Rivers said about the coverage, but in terms of the actual tackling, I think it's been really, really bad compared to what we expected from Justin Reed and, and frankly, what we got spoiled by the first couple of years. Mm-hmm. I, want, I got one more thing to say, and that is, Matt, I don't think that when McKinney was healthy, Cunningham was playing well either. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think he has either, but I think just like, having, I just think he's had a much tougher role. But yeah, like he was bad the first three weeks of the season when McKinney, McKinney was out there. And McKinney was, you know... Didn't look like McKinney this year as well either, just having a deal. Yeah, McKinney, uh, McKinney wasn't good either. Year. That's mm-hmm. absolutely right. That's absolutely right. Neither one of them was good, but I think that since McKinney went out, Cunningham has looked even worse. And that's not to say that he was lighting things on fire when McKinney was there. But I think since McKinney is gone, I, I think that Cunningham's looked markedly worse. Yeah, and like McKinney, I pulled some clips. I didn't get a chance to write about it, but like I think it was like week three against Baltimore. Like he made like like every run stop he made was just so exhaustive. Like he was leaping over offensive guards to grapple guys, and he was just having to go through a whole lot. And just everything's been just really a lot tougher for those two guys this year, um, compared to previous seasons. And I think I have the same opinion as you do, Tim, with regarding with Weaver. Like I think the first few weeks he did a very good job, but then like there's been enough like just like really kind of silly things that he's done lately, like rushing Jacob Mar in the interior, uh, not bracketing Devonte Adams once. Playing Lonnie Johnson Jr. deep middle while Vern Hargreaves can't you know, cover anybody at all. Uh, blitzing without getting any results at all out of it. Last week against Green Bay, he had Brent Scarlett playing hand down defensive end. Uh, <laughs> Brandon Dunn was the flat defender in that dump off pass to Derrick Henry that went for 52 yards. You know, like the talent's the issue here, but there's just so many like just kind of insane decisions that he makes where I think he's just trying to be exotic for the sake of being exotic, kind of like that Rex Ryan syndrome where, you know, you have to make everything really complicated. <laughs> and as difficult as possible whenever you, know, you don't really need to. And there's just so many basic kind of like elementary decisions that you know, should be made that he doesn't make uh, too often. And so I've really kind of sour uh, on Weaver the last four weeks of the season. Well, see, see, and I wonder, I mean, there's there's no doubt Anthony Weaver is getting fired at the end of this year. Um, regardless of who comes in, he, he's not keeping his job. But But what I wonder is how much of this is, I have zero talent available to me on much of the defense, so I've got to try to do something different. I've got to try to do something to shake things up. Because, I mean, you know, you, 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 at the end of the day, you still have Vernon Hargraves, Lonnie Johnson Jr., 
Brandon Dunn, uh, Brendan Scarlett, all those guys on a good defense, if they're not getting if they're not getting no snaps, they're getting like rotational snaps. But on the Texans right now, they're getting the majority of the snaps. So I wonder how much of it is just Anthony Weaver saying, I, I, I'm facing a significant um, deficiency at talent. So I got to try to I got to try to be cute. I got to try to do I got to try to do something different. And then we're, we're left with, you know, again, at the end of the day, Vernon Hargraves mm-hmm. is still somehow playing what 90% of the snaps at corner. And I, I mean, how, how, how can you really put lipstick on that? My two best corners are Vernon Hargraves <laughs> and, and Philip Gaines. How oh, many games God. will I win this year? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that that's, I mean, it, it's just Bradley Roby, I think has been good. I don't think he's been great. Uh, but I think he's been good. But after him, man, like the rest of these guys that are playing in the, in, with the exception of Justin Reed, who, again, I don't think has been any great shakes this year. The rest of the guys that are starting or getting snaps in that secondary, they don't have any business uh, getting the lion's share of plays for, for a, even a mediocre defense. And, and yet those are the guys that the Texans are relying on. So I, I wonder how much of it is Weaver just trying to say, I got to do something different to mask the deficiency that I have talent-wise. Mm-hmm. And also, let's throw in, um, what's his name, Gary on Conley. Matt, what do you think about Gary on Conley missing snaps and how big of a deal that is and how, how very, very important it is to everybody <laughs> on Twitter who I hear every week telling me just that if we had <laughs> Gary on Conley, life would be so much better. See, I'm not that big of a Conley fan just because last year, I think a lot of his past def- defenses were kind of like fool's gold where he just kind of his back is turned he's kind of jumping up and like he got away with stuff and he he failed to stay on top of the routes and he was just playing like cover four and everything breaking inside he wasn't able to cover it all but yeah the difference between him and Vernon Hargraves is traumatic the one thing I don't really understand though is like does Houston have a training staff at all like couldn't they have told you know Gerald Manager Bill O'Brien like hey this ankle is really bad and you got five weeks until the season goes and like you really should just try to find like somebody, anybody else uh, who can step in here at all. Because the whole that whole situation has just been you know really dumb in hindsight. Now that we're seeing Philip Gaines and Vernon Hargraves out here all the time. Well, here's the thing: they thought that they had that guy when they re-signed Philip Gaines. That's yeah. the problem. <laughs> <laughs> and Philip Gaines coming off injury as well too. Um, so for the present, the Texans are one six. I could read their postseason odds, but there's no reason to do that. I really think the only thing they can do from a good thing they can do from a win loss perspective is beat the Colts twice and try to keep the Colts from making the playoffs because uh, they're the you know the only bad franchise in the NFL. But uh, Tim, what are some moves that you'd like to see Houston make right now to try to get the most out of the 2020 season, just from like a developmental perspective? I think that's the thing that's that's so frustrating about what we're watching every week is usually, and I mean we know this probably I think better than a lot of fan bases is usually. When your team is is circling the bowl, you at least have the the hope of well they're going to get a high pick in the draft and we're going to be able to at least maybe get this guy or get that guy. I mean we don't even have that. I mean it's 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 just in that regard it's totally hopeless. So you know what can they do developmentally? I mean I think you got to get Max Sharping back out there and even if he's uh, just a horror show, you still need to find out what you have with him, uh, especially after last game when I don't think Kelamete was was good at all. Um, I'd rather have Max Sharping out there and at least find out whether guard is something we need to make more of a priority than than maybe we thought it was last year. Um, you know, in the secondary, absolutely let Lonnie Johnson play. Uh, you, you know, you burned a second round pick on him. I think at the time, 
Uh, most people that watched kind of raised an eyebrow and said, eh, I don't know. And I, he's certainly given you nothing over the last uh, couple of years to where you would feel really good about him going forward at safety or corner. Uh, offensively, you know, the, the real question to me, I, not even just offensively, I guess, the real question to me is what are you willing to do at the trade deadline to uh, try to maximize your assets going forward? I think it's amazing that they were able to get anything for uh, Eli Anku, who, who, you know, Weston, you wrote, never actually played a snap for the Texans. Somehow they were able to turn that into a seventh round pick. It's sort of the new Drew Henson deal. <laughs> uh, in terms of in terms of being able to get something for him without him ever playing, but you know, go trade what you can for reasonable value. Of course, the other side of that is, do you trust the guys that are making that decision to get anything approximating reasonable reasonable value? So, I mean, Rivers, I, both you guys, I'd be interested to hear what you think in terms of development, what you can do beyond beyond maybe Max Sharping, because I think Max Sharp. Lonnie Johnson, you want to get Ross Ross Blacklock, you want to get Jonathan Greenard in there, you want to get John Reed in there, you want to get these young guys in there just to sort of take reps to see what you have going forward. But developmentally, you've got a bunch of veterans who are making a ton of money Mm -hmm. uh, that, frankly, especially in the case of a guy like Whitney Merciless, a guy like Eric Murray, I don't know that there's another team that would have signed them for anything close to what they got. And I like Randall Cobb, but again, especially with the wide receiver market, the way it went. I don't know that there's another team that would have paid any of those guys what they got from Houston. So, you know, at this point, you made a mistake, I think, sort of across the board in a lot of things. Play the young guys, see what happens, and and, and then move forward and hopefully make it a more attractive job for whoever's coming forward. Tim, I think you've got to give look into giving Xavier DB some snaps. I think he's finally oh, earned God. <laughs> you know, it's, fu- it's, it's funny you say that. Well, you know that. That's why you poked. I have a Xavier DB uh, autograph football at my house uh, because I remember back uh, what year was that? 2007? <laughs> yeah. Maybe? Okay. All right. Uh, I remember I remember being so excited when they drafted him out of Virginia Tech. And I think I know I said and I may well have written that he reminded me of D'Amico Ryans. And, uh, you know, just again, kind of, you know, exhibit 1,464 about how I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. But uh, it's it's amazing to me to to look at guys like that, like go get them the reps and see what happens. And, and if you need to cut bait and eject early, do it. It doesn't do you any good to, to wonder uh, what you've got because guys like that, man, if you, again, coming back to, to Lonnie Johnson, who may well be the new Xavier Adibi, uh, if if you if he's not there, if it's not a guy that you feel good about, find out now and be able to cut bait. I think Brandon Harris has has more of a Bonnie <laughs> Johnson vibe to me personally. Uh, I, again, we've talked about this. When they <laughs> traded up to get Brandon Harris, I jumped out of my chair and <laughs> did a fist pump. I was so excited that they got Brandon Harris. Uh, that I, again, I'm I'm in no position to evaluate talent at all in any way, shape, or form, but. Uh, Xavier Adibi, Brandon Harris. I was excited about both of them, not excited about Lonnie Johnson. And they're probably, I think it's fair to say, maybe all three are sort of in the same boat at this point. I think you said, you started it out by by, by saying uh, the frustrating thing is that we have no first round pick and no second round pick. And then, you know, there's, there's, there's no like tanking your way into this. But the frustrating thing to me is that you have a lot of youth on this roster already that you just don't use. Mm-hmm. You don't give it a chance. You don't care about it. Uh, John John Grenard can't get on the field because he got hurt in training camp and 
This is something that every Texans position coach has to talk about five times every time he's mentioned. Uh, he was so far behind. Oh, and uh, it's not a rookie year. Um, John Reed got 30 snaps in the first game, and I think I was listening to something Texans-related uh, from the mothership Thursday or Wednesday or Thursday. And even like their own hosts are just like, why did this guy get 30 snaps and then disappear into the, you know, crevices of the depth chart behind Philip Gaines? Nobody can answer these questions. And that's the most frustrating thing to me is just that you have young guys. The season is fairly lost at this point. I know that, you know, we put on a good show with Romeo as far as, well, I want these guys to play well. I want, yeah, I do too. I also want to see what <laughs> what's happening in 2021, and maybe we should think about that since this team is one and six. Yeah, yeah. And Reed, and John Reed was the one guy coming out of camp that there were so many positive articles and positive talk about about how he really sort of stood out amongst all the rookies. Nobody said that about Blacklock. Nobody said that about Greenard, at least not publicly. And, and yet he went from all right, was kind of making his way to now he's he's being frozen out. There, again, we come back to the idea there's maybe it's not fair to say there was no rhyme or reason. You can squint and say, I see what they were trying to do, but it all clearly was so, so poorly planned that here we are talking in week eight. They're one in six, and there is zero hope for this season. Zero. Yeah, and we don't know anything about these players at all either. Like I saw Grenard attack a fullback on a pool, and that was it. That's the only time I saw him. I think Reed Star, that Kansas City game, because uh, Lion Johnson t- posted that tweet that was like, we don't talk online, we talk on the field while he was talking online ahead of that Kansas City game. I think he got uh, benched that first half, and so that's obviously all really he was not him. He was not tough, smart, or dependable at uh, that point. Not at all. Uh, but I, th- I want to see Jacob Martin play in the exterior. Like, I'm not a big Jacob Martin fan, but like at least he's, like, I think he's very overblown. But uh, at least, like, he doesn't have an answer when guys get their hands on him. He doesn't have an inside move. He just has that chop rip, and it's beautiful when it all comes together. But more often than not, like guys get their hands on him and can't do anything. But just stop rushing him on the interior. It's a waste of time just because you may drop him back in coverage, you know, four out of those five times he's lined up on the interior. I want to see Omnyehu only on passing downs. I want to see Johnson Jr. outside when they play like cover three and cover four. Uh, never run the football again. I think <laughs> I would also want to see uh, you know, David Johnson probably get released like Rivers wrote about recently and just like scan the depth chart for you know some buying a practice squad you can bring in there uh max sharping should play over calamente too and if he doesn't play just lock him in the weight room put him on ir for the rest of the year and see if he can get much like 325 for next season but it's a it's a lot of just like trying to weigh and see what you can have um for eventually next year but the big thing though is a question from matt smooth grandma and he asked when will the chisel greek god kahali warring rise from the embers of destruction become the savior of this decimated franchise and I think Kahali Waring uh, couldn't pay attention in in all the meetings and everything because he was so busy fantasizing about playing water polo, and that's why he hasn't been able to come on the field at all. But, yeah, I want to see Kahali play as well, too. Just anything in these young guys out here, um, from everybody from Kahali to Sharping to you know whoever else is below the age of 26. Name someone on a practice squad that you wouldn't take starting over David Johnson right now challenge. I thought about doing this because Chris mentioned this on last week's show. I didn't have enough time to do it, but I saw Deontay Foreman today, and he's better than David Johnson is. Uh, and he's not, not making dependable. $11 million. Dollars. Not and he's not making $11 million. Dollars. Not as smart. Probably and he went to Texas, which, 
And he went to Texas, which automatically means he's a good person and someone you can get behind. Yeah, it's a good point. I appreciate both. I appreciate both of you for not snickering at that. That was very, very respectful. I was, I was snickering on mute. If it makes you feel okay, that's fair. We're that's trying. fair. At well, least I th- you didn't publicize it. I think BFD Stain has uh, completely ruined that entire university just because because of the fact that he's associated with it. Um, so the trade deadline's coming up on November third, and earlier, earlier this week, Albert Beer reported that Watson, Watt, Tunsil, and Howard were the untouchable players for the Houston Texans. So this next question is from at Phil Johnson Y, and he asked, how big is the fire sale, and how do you feel about Easterby and his coalition doing the selling? And uh, this question is for you, Rivers. In my mind, there's no fire sale. Um, I don't think that Jack Easterby has the, what's the word I'm looking for, the huevos to actually make any kind of trade that matters. And I think the way that he wants to paint himself coming out of this uh, is tied very heavily into the trade deadline. You don't want to step on any eggshells after everything's already hit the floor, right? So you just kind of back away. Just just back away. I'm still <laughs> VP. I'll still get my job. I'll still get to say that everybody else sucks when they're hired, and then I'll just keep getting paid. And, and I think that's – I mean, I've seen a lot of the rumors. I get it, but the, the things that I'm hearing and – you know, people I'm talking to about it, and as well as just my own common sense, it's just like none of this makes, none of this adds up. None of this adds up in a way that would actually help Jack Easterby look good. And so I don't, I don't, I don't believe that there's a fire sale. So you don't feel any better about him because he was able to trade Eli Anku for a seventh round pick? No, I do not. <laughs> um, I have a card on on my desk. Um, uh, our, our lawn, our lawn person. Uh, we're in the, in the suburbs, of course. So we, we, these people market to us, right? Um, our lawn person quit to go back to school, and so he he sold the business to uh, his employee named Angel. So I've got a Angel's lawn service card, and I would uh, I would install him as general manager over Jack Easterby for these next three days, and I think I would expect better results. <laughs> What about you, Tim? How do you feel about the East Bay Coalition uh, leading this far so that may actually not even occur? I feel poorly. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think I, I don't think I don't think anything's going to come of it. E- even though uh, there absolutely should be a, a, a way that they are aggressively shopping some of these guys, uh, I don't think that they're going to make any big deals. And and that's I, I think. Probably the worst part of it is that if they did make a big deal, I would be terrified because I don't think that there's anything that we've seen uh, since Jack Easterby arrived in Houston to make you think that he is going to maximize the value of the players that he's sending out or even not even maximize getting fair value. Because uh, even though Bill O'Brien's sort of the boogeyman, uh, Jack Easterby allegedly uh, went along with every one of these moves. And, you know, he's a Brandon Cooks guy. He loves the, you know, he, he has his favorites just like Bill O'Brien did. I don't think there's any reason, even if we sit here and say they have to recoup assets. I mean, what what do you know about Jack Easterby or how things have gone since he's been here that gives you a shadow of hope that he would get anything approximating fair value for anyone that he could possibly trade? Okay, well, going off that, this question is from at Astro Bull, and he asks, what do you think Houston can get for Watt, and what do you think they should get for Watt? So, Tim, are you pro-trading J.J. Watt, and how does it make you feel that if you are, that'd be Jack Easterby trying to negotiate 
moving the you know greatest player in franchise history for maybe a third round pick potentially. I will answer the second part of your question first. It makes me feel bad and sad <laughs> that Jack Easterby would be in charge of that. In terms of what they actually could get, you know, I don't see a world in which you could ever get a first round pick for JJ Watt at this point in his career. I think if you could get a second, and I don't know that you could, if you could get a second, I think if you're the Texans, you have to probably do it. If you could get a third round pick for him and it was somewhere he wanted to go, I think you probably have to think real, real hard about it. Just because, you know, the guy is still a very good football player. But again, if we're if we can kind of get past the fact that this year is a lost year and you're probably maybe next year, you're a playoff team. But I don't think that you can look at the current composition of the roster and think that next year you're a real contender. You're probably at least two years away from being hopefully a true contender if things go if everything goes right because you have a franchise quarterback. If you can get a third round pick for J.J. Watt and it's somewhere he wants to go right now. I think you have to think really, really hard about it. If it's a second round pick, I think it's almost necessary that you pull the trigger based on where you are, where you're going. And frankly, you know, to to some degree, you know, there's not a whole lot of guys I get sort of um, uh, nostalgic about. But if J.J. Watt has a chance after all he's done for your team and granted, you paid him tens of millions of dollars to do it. But if you have a chance to put that in a situation where he can go win. I would love to be in a position where in January or February, I have a reason to root for a playoff team because it ain't going to be the Texans this year. And if J.J. Watt was somehow a Packer or a Steeler or even a Bear or I mean, anyone that was a contender or had a legitimate shot, I think it would be awesome to be able to root for him to succeed in a way that he's not going to with Houston this year, in all likelihood next year. and. You know, when we're talking about 2022, whether he's even a shadow of what he's been now, I think that's very much up in the air. So to answer your question, I feel terrible about Jack Easterby being in charge. But if you can get a second round pick for J.J. Watt, I think you probably make a trade. Yeah, I feel the same way about it too. Like if you can get a two, you have to do it. I, I think if you can get a three, I think you probably should. Because Watt has been Watt this year and he has a high, um, dra- he has a high cap hit the following year. And you probably have to restructure that deal too. He's gonna be 32, and you know Houston may not. It's 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 a team that needs more than a head coach, you know, going to next year. So I do think if you can get either one of those picks, it's something that you have to really consider. Uh, what about you, Rivers? Where do you what do you think about the Watt maybe possibly being moved at the deadline? The conversation's irrelevant because he doesn't want to go anywhere. I agree in theory that it makes logical sense for the Texans to look into trading him and acquire a second round pick a late second i think is probably the best you can get um but it's a conversation that really just doesn't matter because it's not happening that's not Mm -hmm. the way that uh this this uh this team has decided to operate gotcha rivers you really rivers you really don't think that jj Watt wants to go anywhere i think if he wanted to go somewhere he'd be gone already okay uh when would they have done that I think after the uh, <laughs> trying to remember which which game had the, the hissiest fit of a press conference probably probably the Packers game that was that was a pretty big hissy fit. It, it was well, I, he actually had I, probably his biggest hissy fit was the one. And I don't even want to call it a hissy fit because I, I don't think that's fair. He's probably a fraction of frustrate as frustrated as 
we are sitting at home, you know, throwing things at our television uh, in terms of at least public public disclosure. But the the, the game before uh, they fired O'Brien, I thought Watt was was a different tone than we'd seen. I wonder how much of it is him looking at it going, man, there aren't a whole lot of guys like Sean Watson. You know, things could turn around relatively quickly. That said, I think if you told J.J. Watt, you can go play with your brothers in Pittsburgh or you can go to Green Bay, I can't imagine he wouldn't sign up for that. I would say that that's closer than other situations, but because of the cap math, it makes it really difficult to actually pull off. Yep. And then also there's the fact that, as you said, I think J.J. does understand that, you know, the 2-14 and 14 season came and went and, uh, you know, next year the Texans were 9-7. So I think yep. there's there's a quick bounce back. You look at the uh, the window you're signing up with with Deshaun Watson compared to, I don't know, going to like Chicago with Nick Foles. Like, why would I want to do that? <laughs> do, do either of you guys think that this is a team that next year uh, is – Let's say nine wins are better. I would say there's a chance for sure. I mean, it really depends on what kind of coaching staff, what kind of uh, general manager are, are brought in. But uh, sure. I mean, I think the offense uh, was the best way to put this. I think the offense in competent hands uh, can be a top 10 offense pretty easy and has upside for more. And the defense? exists <laughs> <laughs> weston what do you think do you think that do you think it's that quick of a turnaround next year I, I think it can be i think it's i think it's just because watson you know if he's a top five quarterback yep. there's enough talent like the offensive line can be passable enough and you know, they're gonna have to you know, move some things around their skill players because of the cap but they can get like you know three good receivers and just by like running like a more postmodern offense um, they should be able to score 30 points a game fairly easily. And it's not like this division's really great, and they're going to play a last-place schedule next year, too, and that will help out as well. And then they can they will not some play. Picks. They will not play a last-place schedule. Oh, because they, well, the, the they always beat the Jags. Exist. I forget about the that. Jaguars all, still exist. They always have the Jaguars, the Jaguars, too. Gardner Minshew is going to be inactive next week. So they have. They have. we're going to get to see Mike Glennon next week. Uh, so I, I, don't, I don't think there's any doubt that, that their best – or not best case. The realistic scenario is they finish third in the division because the Jaguars are actively trying to not win football mm-hmm. games. I, I forgot about that. And Houston can't lose the Jaguars. Doesn't matter how bad they are, they can always beat the Jags at least. Uh, but yeah, I think with, I mean the schedule will be a little bit easier than next year too because of that. And like and Watson can win enough close games even though they're zero and three this year too. So I think it's possible. But I think they're they're not. It's not gonna be like next year they should be. Uh, like a 12-4 and four dominant team or something like that. I think next year will kind of be like how this year was expected to be, where like it's going to be a dogfight to be the number seven seed, but they have the chance because of how good Watson is. Okay. So, if they, get, I mean, if they get rid of David Johnson and replace him with <laughs> anybody competent, Frank Gore, literally anybody competent, this offense would have would have put up 500 total yards in like each of the last four weeks. Jonathan Wells? Jonathan Wells. Bring Jonathan Wells, Tony yeah. Hollings, Sam Ken Godot, <laughs> Sam, Sam Vernon, Vernon Morency. Any of those guys are more attractive to you than David Johnson? Absolutely. And Justin How Forsett much of that? with Thanksgiving coming up, too. Oh, Justin Forsett was a special back. And they're playing the Lions, too, yeah. on Thanksgiving. Uh-huh. Even better. It's Matt's Kismet. Um, so I guess since you mentioned the defense existing, Rivers, how many defensive players does Houston have on the roster 
that you think are legitimate NFL starters, you know, this year slash going into next year? Okay. Um, Roby, Cunningham, Watt. <sighs> yeah. Reed, Reed. I guess we say Reed, yeah. You can say Reed. He's been disappointing, but he was still he's still been very, very good for two years before this. I, I, I But that said, I think we're all out of names. Yeah. Yeah, I had McKinney here, but I think he's going to get released next year. Um, and I think he was, like, you know, competent enough. Um, to start somewhere as far as a run stopper, like he would start in Detroit, you know. But uh, if you look at the, if you look at the cap, though, like there's no way that they can yeah. really bring anything near what last year, what this year has back, unless they release David Johnson and release McKinney. Like that's the, the mm-hmm. those are the two easy cuts. Then you get to the hard what? stuff. Once they signed Cunningham to that extension, it meant McKinney was getting cut at the end of this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rivers, what do you think about Fuller? Do you think he's a true number one wide receiver? Because he's going to be a free agent after next year, and they can franchise tag him um, next year. Or do you think of him as the number two? And do you think his injury history is too much of a concern to give him like you know fourteen million dollars a year with a team that's set to be over the cap in during next offseason? I agree with everything you just said. He's a number one when he's healthy, and because of his injury history, he's a number two. But I think he's so talented that. There's really no no way to for, for for me personally to move off of the fact that he he's really that good and he does make that big of a difference when he plays and he's far and away the best receiver on this team in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a tough spot because they're gonna have to you know maneuver on their skill players and again like paying Fuller is hard to do at 14 million, but at least he's been somewhat healthy this year. But yeah, I think he's far and away the best receiver on this team too. I know, Rivers, you also mentioned kind of earlier when we spoke, whenever we did the Texans season preview, we talked about this idea of Bill O'Brien you know, being fired and how you know, beautiful that may be. But you kind of soured the idea, this idea that you know, Houston may actually be in a worse spot if they fire O'Brien because whoever is going to be the search firm that's going to hire some head coach next year can find Josh McDaniels or some sort of retro like that. Do you still have those same concerns now that uh, Kyle is out there kind of sniffing around trying to find somebody to replace O'Brien? I do, yes. Are you, are you, what do you think would be the worst possible option for Houston as a head coach next year? Would it just be like a Patriots retread with Josh McDaniels, or is there a far more sinister idea you have in your head? Um, hmm. Let me, let me say that uh, there was a lot of hype early on about the Bills, and Brian Dayball got a lot of that hype, a lot of the whole he's going to carry Josh Allen. That's kind of fallen apart recently, but I don't know if his star has gone down. Um, that one would scare me a lot. Um, what about you, Tim, on your end? What's, uh, which head coach are you most excited for, for possibly coming here to coach Houston next year? I mean, I, I guess probably I'd say I'm most intrigued by Eric Bieniemy, but but I think Greg Roman would be a really, really interesting pick. It's probably not the popular pick right now, just from the, just from the perspective of Bienemy having having uh, sort of the Chiefs glow on him. I, I agree 100% with Rivers. I, I didn't really understand the Brian Dable uh, love when he was getting it. I remember when he was I, – I don't know that he got fired by Alabama uh, with Nick Saban, but it was certainly understood that Saban wasn't real happy with him. And then he, he – I think the next job was, was the Bills' offensive coordinator. But – I think the guy that that probably intrigues me the most 
is Bienemy. I'd want to talk to Bienemy, and I think then Greg Roman. I don't know which of those dudes is a better hire. You just have to have somebody that the whole the whole scheme has to be tailored to who is going to make Deshaun Watson succeed the most, who's going to make him, make him reach the highest possible level. The rest of it's it doesn't really matter to me. That that's the whole thing. Who's Deshaun Watson going to succeed the most with? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm all in on an offensive guy. I don't really like the idea of signing a defensive sort of mind at all here. And I think like I I I mean I'm, I'd be fine with Dable. Greg Roman. The only thing that kind of concerns me with him is like it's everything's so run based, especially the quarterback position. Like I like the idea of Watson being used as a runner, but having him you know, run the ball 12 times or so a game um, is kind of scary to think about. And also his offense is kind of stagnate after a few years. And you kind of seen that with Baltimore this year, and the same thing happened whenever he was in Buffalo and also whenever he was in San Francisco too. Um, I love Arthur Smith, and I, I like Joe Brady a lot also, but I kind of want them yeah. to stay where they're at for another year just for my own personal feelings where I want to see Bridgewater and, and uh, Brady together for one more year. I love Arthur Smith in Tennessee. I hope he never leaves because – them having like an 83% red zone touchdown rate is the most absurd thing in football right now uh, to me. So I don't want to see those guys leave. But like, again, anybody offensive-wise, uh, I think is kind of far and away the decision you have to go. And the enemy is number one for me, though, at the moment. Brady and Smith are two guys you absolutely have to talk to. I think Joe Brady is exactly the kind of sort of outside-the-box, year-too-early hire that the Texans have shown absolutely no willingness mm-hmm. to make. Uh, but uh, Arthur Smith probably has a little bit more pull, a little bit more pub in terms of he's sort of done it before, he's doing it again. I don't know if he'd be a guy that the Texans would go after. I, the, the really interesting thing to me is I think Eric Bieniemy on some level is going to have his choice of jobs after this year, assuming the season goes how we think it will. And then it really comes down to how desirable is the Texans' job? How much, how much of a lure is it to work with Deshaun Watson without having a first and second round pick this year? Uh, we'll see who they hire as general manager. But there's a lot about the job that's attractive, I think, from a coaching standpoint. But there's a whole lot about it that, that you kind of go, uh, I don't know. Is Deshaun Watson, is the lure of Deshaun Watson enough to cover up all these other glaring problems that we see? I would pay $500 <laughs> to have a three-hour meetup with either Greg Roman uh, or Arthur Smith and just watch them talk about David Johnson running in this Texans game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would like I that. Too would, I, too, would like to participate in that powwow. I'd be like, just Arthur Smith just showing, like, the five ways he runs outside zone, how he can use David Johnson in three of those, you know. I don't even think you need to do that. I would probably just say, so, David Johnson, what do you think? <laughs> Uh, Tim, is there a general manager candidate that you like at all, or is that just kind of so far and away from, you know, like digging around through like VP of, you know, player ops to even have a name and all that interests you? The one that I think interests me the most is probably Ed Dodds up with the Colts, who's assisting Chris Ballard, but I'll readily admit I haven't, I haven't looked that hard into it. I think that's probably the guy that I would say, boy, if you could, if you could sit down and talk with him and see what he thinks, that'd be the dude that I'd say, hey, that'd be number one on my list right now. Gotcha. What about you, Rivers? I really don't care at all about the, the GM search. I don't understand why the GM search got prioritized over the head coach search in the first place, because that feels like a way to create the same situation we had with Bill O'Brien coming in to Rick Smith's domain and being mm-hmm. like, that's an interesting theory you've got about personnel, Rick, but also, screw you, I'll do what I want. 
<laughs> uh, do you and also Rivers? Do you think that this is a desirable head coaching spot? Like, do you think Bienemy had like to his choice of any head coaching spot out there at all? Do you think Houston be top on his list, or do you think this is actually a team without the first and second round pick and the cap issues they have and the defensive struggles that it may be harder for Houston to get a top flight candidate than they may be willing to think about right now? I think Houston will be fine. I don't, I don't, I don't buy into kind of a doom and gloom scenario here. I think there's enough on offense to make the job desirable. And obviously Deshaun Watson himself makes the job incredibly desirable. I think we need to kind of uh, tunnel focus in on how a coach would think and a coach would think, Hey, this, there's some problems with this team. Yeah. But they're pretty easy to fix. I've got Deshaun Watson. Mm-hmm. I don't care about anything else. And yeah, not having picks is, is not ideal. Um, not having picks last year was also not ideal. Uh, not having DeAndre Hopkins, not ideal. But I think I think a head coach is going to be able to look past that when compared to, say, the Atlanta Falcons job or the New York Jets job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it, I think Houston's not going to have a problem like trying to find any talent all come here. I just think it's going to take more effort than just getting a new head coach here for this to be a good football team again. And there's a lot of holes and stuff um, to go along that. And if they do, if they are able to nail the head coaching job and just have like a, a regular modern offense um, next year, like they could fight for like a sort of nine, seven seed, even with all the you know, difficulties they have ahead of them. And I know Tim, you asked Rivers that earlier, but do you think this is a good uh, and desirable head coaching position for whoever comes here next year? I think it is only because of Deshaun Watson. I think absent that, uh, that's there's nothing really attractive about the job except for the fact that the organization has shown exceptional patience with his coaches uh, basically throughout its, its entire existence. But, but you have a young franchise quarterback. There's those jobs generally don't open. Uh, usually, you know, or when uh, that's not fair to say when they do open, it's rare. And if you believe in Deshaun Watson, and I, I would like to think that most objective objective observers do, you'd say, boy, there's not a whole lot of jobs like that that are going to be better. Uh, you know, you can go maybe the interesting question to me is, you know, let's assume the Jets uh, run the table, so to speak, and they're a uh, they're a winless team or close to it. And they get the first pick of the draft and they get the, they get the chance at Trevor Lawrence. Would you rather have Trevor Lawrence uh, in twenty twenty one or would you rather have Deshaun Watson? And, you know. I think once you you have to take the salary cap uh, nuances mm-hmm. into into account, but I think that you know, would you rather have Trevor Lawrence on a rookie contract, or would you have, or would you rather have Deshaun Watson and the Texans uh, for the next say four or five years? It, it, it's an interesting conversation, but to answer your question, I, I think it is an attractive job purely because of Deshaun. The rest of it makes it, I think, frankly, pretty unattractive. But a, a young franchise quarterback is really really hard to beat. Yeah, I really like that. I think, it's a, I think it's a great point. And it's funny, too, like, for about this thing with Watson and, you know, Houston's 2020 season was that, you know, Watson, year four of his rookie deal, like, this was the year that, and even got, coming back to last year, where they should be Super Bowl contenders, and they should actually have a chance to get to the AFC Championship, that sort of thing. And so they actively got worse this offseason and uh, kind of threw all that away. And so, like, this should have been, a, a, like, this, this six and one probably should have been the inverse of it, or this one and six should be the inverse of it. And I think that's kind of the most frustrating thing about this year. Um, but at least Bill O'Brien's gone, though. So that concludes this portion of the conversation discussing the past, the present, and the future of the Houston Texans as they exit the bye week of the 2020 season. But now you may be asking yourself, wait, is that it? Is that the end of this podcast? 
No, it's far from the end of it. In the second half of this podcast, part two, as some may call it, Tim, Rivers, and I discuss the sickness we have, which is being a fan of the Houston Texans. In this portion of it, we discuss everything from Julian Davenport's pro football focus grade to where Xavier Adibi was drafted to what compensation Houston would be willing to receive to trade Whitney Merciless to another team. This part of the conversation should be up Tuesday morning, November 3rd. In the meantime, look out for that. I'm Matt Weston, and thank you for listening to Battle Red Radio. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.